0: Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachib, founder and co CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Hey, everyone. It's safe to say that longevity is one of my favorite topics. In fact, Colleen and I have a whole newsletter where, where we discuss the latest research on increasing health span. If you haven't subscribed to the long game yet, I encourage you to do so, and we'll share the link in the show notes. But today, Dr. Alyssa Eppel is here to talk about the critical longevity factor that doesn't get nearly enough attention, stress. Now, before I lose you, let me reassure you that, that this is not your average stress episode. It's a breakdown of all the ways you can reduce anxiety and lengthen your telomeres, which is a fascinating topic and ultimately slow down aging. Now, Alyssa is the go-to on all things telomeres and has conducted pioneering research into how stress impacts our health. And I assure you, you will walk away with some actionable and fascinating tips to reduce your mental burden, all in the name of longevity. Alyssa, welcome.
1: Thank you, Jason. So good to see you after many years.
0: I know, many years indeed. I think the last time we saw each other was at our 2015 Revitalize event in Arizona, which you came to talk about telomeres, which I definitely want to, to chat about, given your expertise there. And now you have this incredible book out called The Stress Effect. So with all that said, Again, so great to see you. Great to finally have you on the show. And maybe let's start by talking a bit about your background and the work you do at UCSF.
1: Sure. So I love my work because I get to figure out what questions are most interesting and important about understanding our mind-body connection. And so of the hundreds of scientific papers I've published, They are almost all connecting some aspect of how we think, how we feel, our lifestyle to biological health, to how we respond to stress or how fast our cells are aging. And there's no end to the mysteries of how we work. I mean, in general, we're super hooked up and connected uh, in terms of having one nervous system. You know the big one in our head but like a phenomenally well-connected nervous system in our gut in our body we feel stress in our body and it's it's always easy to try to find relationships between how we're holding stress if we can measure it well and also positive states and find biological correlates but what's really important is how malleable are these are these just correlations or are they causal factors in our aging and how can we reverse them? So that keeps me very busy. And you know we get to try interventions that we are curious about ourselves. So we do a lot of self experimentation.
0: And so in terms of those, everything you just discussed and this idea of measurement, I think is the perfect segue to telomeres because telomeres is something you are one of the leading experts in the world on the subject of telomeres and and a lot of people look to telomeres uh, in terms of the relationship to stress. Uh, So with all that said, can you you give us a primer on telomeres and why they're such a critical marker?
1: Telomeres are very interesting players in our health. They are in every single cell of our body and they are these these you know windy um, strings of DNA that fold up like caps, protecting our chromosomes, our genes. So protection of our genes is absolutely a critical function. And our body has a lot of different ways to protect the genes from damage in the cell. And the telomere is one of these important ways where it's detecting stress levels in the cell, oxidative stress, inflammation, Um, any chemicals that can damage the genes and it's regulating. It's kind of like the, one of the first alarm systems, it's the canary in the coal mine. So when there is too much stress in the cell, it's too risky for that cell to go on and keep dividing the cell sends out danger signals. And so it can be either like the game's over Cell cycle arrest signals. That cell stops dividing. We don't want a cancer cell that's damaged, or it goes into this, um, or it can die. It can have an apoptosis endpoint. And when it becomes a senescent cell, it becomes pro inflammatory. And so that's just right there. It's like, it's all about inflammation. Inflammation is the royal pathway to aging. We want to keep the inflammation in our blood down. So we want to keep our telomeres sturdy. So our cells can go on dividing and so that they don't become old and senescent and pro-inflammatory. So as we age, the telomeres get a bit shorter. That's the downer about telomeres, but there's tremendous variability and elasticity because there's an enzyme that protects telomeres that can keep them sturdy and stable and even build them up.
0: So essentially, as you age, telomeres shorten and... Lifestyle factors, and we're going to talk a lot about them, but the, the notable one, stress, can shorten telomeres, and that, in effect, can age you. But the positive is lifestyle factors and stress management can possibly lengthen telomeres. And so, in that regard, potentially stop the aging process on the cellular level or perhaps even reverse it, if I were to summarize.
1: Very good summary. That's what people need to know, that what they do today matters and that this this cell system that's so sensitive to stress is also sensitive to lifestyle and re- loves healthy routine. The more fruits and vegetables we eat, the longer our telomeres are. There's all sorts of correlations.
0: So so let's go right there in terms of okay, everyone's listening saying, okay, telomeres is a marker for longevity and I want to live a healthy, happy, and and long life. And so I'm 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 paying a lot of attention right now. So what are those things that that we know can impact our telomere length for the positive? Increased telomere
1: length. There is a tremendous list here of of aspects of our life and our mental health that have been correlated with telomeres. The easy rule is to understand that everything you know about keeping your heart healthy and your brain healthy is also associated with longer telomeres and lower inflammation. So the real question is, besides the hundreds of correlational studies about our lifestyle and cell aging markers, what? is it really a malleable system? What interventions can we do that really boost up the enzyme telomerase, the anti-aging enzyme, or lengthen telomeres? And that's where things get a little trickier because a big enough trial you know, takes millions in five years. And so most of our trials are small. And then our measures of telomere length are, I'll, I'll say, less than ideal. We're still working on really accurate measures. So they work well in our studies when we have Hundreds of people or thousands, and we can look at statistical changes in telomere length, but they don't work so well at an individual level. So I don't, I've never, for example, tested my telomeres. There's many reasons for that, but one is just that we don't have the accuracy to track them well unless you're going to really keep measuring and tracking over time, then you're going to get a more reliable trajectory. So to directly answer your question, we and others have done some clinical trials on telomeres. And so we know that. Um, at least in one study by Eli Petterman, highly stressed dementia caregivers, most of them are highly stressed, people caring for a, a husband, a partner, a spouse with um, dementia are pretty much on 24-7. So there are a, f- a sadly fabulous model of chronic stress. And so in one study, Eli Petterman had them Go um, recruited a large number of caregivers and half of them exercised and half of them just did their usual sedentary lifestyle. And at the end of six months, the caregivers who had a trainer and a, and a Fitbit and had really learned to exercise had telomere lengthening and the other group had telomere shortening. So we know that even though our measures are a little bit crude, we know they're on different trajectories over time. The the wear and tear, the speedy wear and tear of a high stress life versus the restoration that we get from exercise. Exercise is super interesting because we it's that those bursts of the stress response and then the recovery that is so phenomenal for cell aging, is so restorative and rejuvenative in terms of like turning on cleanup crews in the cell and housekeeping. So there's exercise. We also did an omega-3 trial, and that was very interesting. That was by Jan Kicolt-Glazer at Ohio State. And it was the the participants who had the omegas, regardless of what dose, the more they absorbed it in their red blood cells, the longer their telomeres became.
0: Makes the cat the case for wild, fatty fish, wild salmon, sardines. Yeah. And, and so- Staying on exercise for a moment, coming back to nutrition, were there a specific kind of exercise or specific requirements, or was any type of movement good?
1: So in that study, it was brisk walking. And the issue with going from sedentary to fitness is really the tapering up and the not kind of over- over-exercising beyond your fitness level. We know how terrible that feels and it does cause more of a dysphoric stress response, Over, tra- kind of like overtraining. So the brisk walking or treadmill was, was enough for these older caregivers. Now you bring up, you know, what type of exercise? I think you are probably thinking of, well, what about high intensity interval training? And how that differs from endurance training and they do differ quite a lot in their profiles luckily they both really do improve cardiovascular fitness insulin resistance weight to the same extent so they're so that's the exciting news if you can tolerate the intensity you're getting a faster shorter more efficient workout but what's so interesting and i talk about this from a stress a mental health perspective is that the high intensity interval training is a beautiful example of hormetic stress, of this short-term repeated bursts of stress that we then trigger ourselves to recover and restore from in a more intense way than, say, brisk walking.
0: So on that note, as we're talking about hormetic stressors, I'm assuming uh, hot-cold therapy in terms of saunas, uh, cold plunges, or cold showers would have the same positive impact
1: So yes, in terms of a aging perspective, the animal studies are amazing. And even studies of single cells that hot, cold, and other weird chemical stressors really do slow the biological aging process of cells and create longevity. And for example, in worms, the more you, you heat them up a moderate amount, the longer they live. And of course, There's an inflection point. There's a turning point where if you heat them too much, they die. So, so really, the challenge in humans is what's the right amount of hot and cold, and the dosing, and and there's not a great science to that yet. But there's there's a a, certainly a lot of evidence about the health benefits of heat and sauna, and even on I think we pay less attention to this on mood, on depression and anxiety, and that's a really beautiful edge that research is on right now people like Chuck Rayzone and Ashley Mason are doing studies on raising core body temperature hyperthermia for people with resistant depression and finding that depression can be relieved in these initial studies with some with very few exposures to an infrared sauna
0: wow that's fascinating so it, it, that is very big Is there anything, any preliminary data or hypotheses that would suggest a minimum dosage is required to realize those benefits in terms of time in the sauna or time in the plunge?
1: That's a great question. We're not there yet, not for mental health. The exciting thing about these studies is it really is only a few doses, (laughs) so it's, um, it's quite a burst of positive stress, increases inflammation, the more inflammation, the more depression relief in the following weeks. Um, That was from Chuck's initial critical study. In terms of the health benefits, it really is regular use several times a week. So Rhonda Patrick has a fabulous review published of all the different cardiovascular and uh, physiological benefits of sauna as a lifestyle.
0: Interesting, interesting, we'll have to get her on. so, okay, understood on exercise. Got to move. There, there are benefits to high intensity interval training in terms of uh, you know activating activating our hormetic stressors, uh, which has longevity benefits. Uh, coming back to n- nutrition, what I what I heard was because everyone's got a different. Uh, there, there are many belief systems in terms of a healthy diet, so I just want to zero in on that for a moment, then we can move back on. So what I heard was vegetables and fruits, omega-3s, so that's going to be your your fatty fish. Uh, what else in terms of, if you had to generalize, without going down the whole nutrition rabbit hole, if you had to generalize, how do you think about it?
1: I have two words. This conversation can be very short. Mediterranean diet, it's just, it's the pattern that always shows up as related to lower levels of inflammation oxidative stress and telomere length so what you described are in critical components also high fiber uh, lean meats or less meats there are some i'll say villains in the food area it's not a common practice among nutrition researchers to look at superfoods they really look at patterns diet patterns but when they do look do a food analysis we do have some bad players. And again, they're not surprising. Processed red meat is probably the worst culprit associated with shorter telomeres. And of course, that's on our carcinogen list. So that's no mystery that it's wreaking havoc. The other uh, is soda, sugared beverages. So we initially published the first study of that a while ago in in Haynes, And since then, I, I believe there's been maybe four replications that there's no association with even juice or diet soda with telomere length, but there is one with the sugared beverages. And that's one we've really targeted and gone after. We've taken it out of all of our hospital cafeterias here at UCSF. We measured waist circumference in the heavy drinkers before and after we took out the sugared beverages. And we actually saw a decrease in waste among our 200 participants.
0: I'm like Not surprising, given all the sugar in a... Uh, in, a, in a regular soda, I'm curious. Did you explore any of the artificial sweeteners and their impact?
1: We haven't, and they are coming out to be second in line, bad guys for gut microbiome and other aspects. And you know, so far, we're still trying to get rid of sugary beverages. And so, if we tackle the the diet beverages, I think the the hospital cafeterias would, um, you know, close the door on us but um, I do think those are next. Um, and the, the other thing, Jason, just to make sure I come full circle with my comment that a, um, hit or hermetic stressors are good for mood, these are, um, it's not trivial that they can reduce stress, rumination, depression, and anxiety because we don't have drugs that do well for any of those. And so just understanding that there's this huge research base showing that uh, aerobic exercise can actually reduce depression and to a lesser extent, anxiety is something that is not well known. And it's, uh, you know, it's really critical to get uh, the body moving because we're under so much stress and that is a pathway toward depression.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that we had, it was a while ago, I think uh, Jennifer Hayes. I don't know if you're familiar with her work, very passionate about exercise. Uh, She talks about her personal struggles, but exercise uh, as a potential therapy for people really suffering from depression. And we don't talk about it at all.
1: I know. I just got an email from someone who heard about hormetic stress, including the fitness, and has treated his own depression, anxiety, PTSD, at least manage it well wanted to share it with others is now the owner of a crossfit gym and you know an inspiration to people who don't want to talk about mental health about this pathway and there's a foundation i'll send you the links but um this is uh the brick family own a lot of planet fitness gyms and it's their mission to put extra treadmills in inpatient wards where there's so few options and so much suffering and our and training fitness professionals and mental health. So we have a whole cadre of professionals who can help people with our epidemic of depression, and anxiety.
0: We can't go down the rabbit hole. We don't have enough time to go down the rabbit hole of all the failures of hospitals and, and the disease care system because it is, one, it's depressing. I'll get depressed, we'll, we'll all get depressed, start talking about how bad it is. Uh, but, 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 but two, I wanna come back. You mentioned Planet Fitness, gym, CrossFit resistance training
1: it's a it's a good question some people have compared you know the aerobic exercise the fitness training and what's happening with some cell aging mechanisms like telomeres i don't think they're the target of the fit of weight lifting but we absolutely know that building muscle is hugely important for preventing the atrophy of muscles the loss of those active stem cells you know starting 10 you know earlier like it's even late for me i'm getting a little closer to to 60 than 50 to think okay now is the time to start you know building as much muscle as i can so that's not spared it's never too late but the uh that's just one of the dramatic consequences of aging of course it's the use it or lose it but really amping that up so that we are keeping um that muscle mass and those active stem cells. And that's just a tremendous part of really being able to live well and feel well in our 80s, 90s, et cetera.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a huge focus for me. Uh, I'm 48 and I started to notice I was losing my legs and I because I, I stopped doing leg work after the last time I played basketball, which was 25 years ago. And I had this moment where I looked in the mirror. I'm like, "What happened to my my butt? Is shrink? What happened to my butt?" And I'm like, "Oh my God, sarcopenia! It's happening to me. I need to I need to get serious." And and it's and it's not about and it's not about the 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 vanity. It, to me, it's about you know. There's really compelling data that really supports this idea that you need to maintain lean muscle mass as you age. I think it's a quarter if you're eight. A quarter of all uh, people over the age of 65 fall. If you fall and break your hip, you are twice as likely, excuse me, if you fall, you are twice as likely to fall again. So a quarter of all people fall over 65. If you fall once, twice as likely to fall again. Now, if you fall and break your hip, you have a 30 to 40% chance of dying within one year. And if you just pause and think about those numbers, wow, you think about hip, leg strength. So, what does it do? Like, wh- why do you need to be strong? One, you need the muscle mass so you have the armor. And then, two, you need the muscle mass, the coordination, the break together. So, maybe if you're about to fall, you break your fall and you can react quickly. And this is where muscle comes in and strength. But if you think about those numbers and mortality, wow, that's, that's scary.
1: Yeah. It really is.
0: It's harder to build muscle as you age. That is a fact.
1: The hip fracture is an absolute turning point for so many older people it's and kept- maybe
0: it's not the fracture that kills you but it's the infection in the hospital or the hospital you know whatever it might be uh, but so okay so exercise we covered nutrition we covered i love mediterranean diet we'll leave it at that perfectly said uh not very trendy or fashionable not a lot of mediterranean diet influencers on instagram but it gets it, it gets it gets it's just so not controversial or it's just so 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 proven so not you know lots of pictures of people in greece
1: right i was just going to say go look at the blue zones you know there yes
0: we love Dan some
1: good data <laughs> yes
0: so nutrition exercise uh, sleep what what do we know about sleep and the role it plays in telomere length
1: there are several studies that suggest that if we get less than seven hours that we tend to be on the shorter side um, with five hours being kind of the real risky category and it does get harder as we age to be getting that much sleep the other aspect of sleep is not just the hours but the quality so when we rate our sleep as low quality that's associated with shorter telomeres and my colleague, Eric Prather, just wrote a bo- A parallel book. I wrote The Stress Prescription, uh, Seven Days to More Joint Ease. And he wrote The Sleep Prescription, Seven Days to Your Best Rest. And oh, sorry. Yeah, just-
0: we've had him on the show. Yeah. We loved it. I, I love it. Well, Plug the book. Yes.
1: So What I love about that, the perspective, not just about treating insomnia, but for all of us is that how we um, how we live our day influences our sleep. And if we want our best quality sleep, it's so important to have some basics during the day that allow us to have a wind down, to have a really lovely slow de-escalation of stressors, both in our mind and in our you know, diet, not having screen time right beforehand. And so if we can, amp up our ritual, bedtime ritual, that is a really good way to increase our sleep quality and maybe even our deep sleep, which is something that is fascinating. Some of us track and we don't have many ways at all, almost no research on how to increase deep sleep, the most restorative sleep that we can get where we have the brain cleaning.
0: For me, I can tell you about our supplement, which works for me, I get deep sleep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but for me, it's the combination of the magnesium, bisglycinate, jujubi, and pharma GABA does wonders for me. I don't have a problem sleeping, but I have, and that's the that's our, our formula for our product, our sleep support product, but I see a very big difference in terms of my REM and deep when I take that and when I don't. And also latency is another big one that like imp- huge impact. And again, I don't have a problem with sleep. And this is just like better quality as I measure everything with aura. Ah,
1: oh, that's fascinating. So what, yeah, we'll have to talk later about percentages.
0: <laughs> so, but in terms of measurement, if, if, if I'm guessing people are listening and saying, this is interesting, how can I measure my telomeres?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm always laugh at this. Cause I, uh, I don't want to be irresponsible and just say, go measure your telomeres. The company names are on my website. They are there and along with that is a a page that you should read it's from elizabeth blackburn the nobel laureate who i work with who uh, discovered the enzyme telomerase and the genetic code for telomeres and we've been doing a lot of this research uh, with our third partner julian on measurement and uh, health and interventions and the bottom line is that there are, if you measure your telomeres, you should know about some important caveats that we list there. So for example, if you have really long telomeres, they actually shorten faster. And so you might get an alarming report that you're shortening faster than your age-related peers, but it might be because you're a lot longer and you're, so your biological set point in homeostasis is different. Whereas if we have very short telomeres, they're quite defended and tend to be more stable. Um, so, so there's things like that. Um, I don't want to know mine. I know that I've had a lot of wear and tear and, um, the, the, uh, the number would only alarm me and frustrate me. And then I would get, you know, wonder about the next measure and it would drive me crazy. So it's just about doing the things that we know that, that help and work. And the other thing, Jason, is that there's a lot of interrelated cellular aging mechanisms. So telomeres are related to, particularly to how long our cells can go on dividing. We call that replicative senescence. So we definitely want them to be on the longer side and stable, but there's also these other cell systems that we can now measure that are, uh, they're the kind of, um, they're all best friends and they talk to each other. So we have the epigenetics, the epigenetic clock, which measures chronological or measures biological age. And then we also have the mitochondrial activity in the cells and for all, and of course the level of inflammation. And for all four of those, we know that early trauma or PTSD systems, uh, PTSD symptoms or chronic stress have been associated with, let's just say worse function of all four of those systems or greater aging. So they're really, we really think of, Aging as a system or an algorithm. So rather than getting focused on just one measure, we want to think of, you know, floating the boat for all of them.
0: <laughs> no, it, it, look, it makes perfect sense. Uh, my wife, you know, Colleen, is the same way. You know, we talked about twenty three and Me, and she didn't want to do it for the same reasons you just very clearly articulated. She said she would be, you know, doesn't want to know, would stress her out. So. I'm fine with it. I did it. And then to further your point, you know, when you do 23andMe, you should also do it alongside a medical professional so you can really understand what's going on here. Uh, otherwise, doing it blind by yourself with you and Dr. Google may not be the most productive use of your time and may segue to to, to more stress. Uh, so on, on, the, on that segue to stress, before we go there on the stress prescription, uh, have there been... Any recent studies on telomeres that you're particularly excited about?
1: That's a really good question. We measure them in a lot of studies. And one of the newest findings in this field is that we may be passing on an aged phenotype, shorter telomeres, to our offspring through the stress pathway. And so there are there's a growing body of literature showing that when a pregnant mother is exposed to different kinds of stressors, there are shorter telomeres in the baby's cord blood. So day one of life when they measure telomeres. And we've been measuring them in kids a little bit later too. And so the short story is that stress during pregnancy we already know it has some, you know, it can have some prenatal programming, some bad effects on the baby's metabolism, on later weight gain and on health. But now we're finding that the telomere setting point may be shorter right from the beginning of life. So that's really, really important, understanding this intergenerational transmission. And so we just published a paper showing that the in the, um, we compared uh, white and black women who had babies who we measured their telomeres when they were a bit older. And we found that financial stress for the white women predicted shorter telomeres in the children and even controlling for the mom's telomeres. So we try to control for genetics and all the the, um, different confounds. And this wasn't the case in the black women, probably because we can't measure stress well the more pernicious chronic stressors of discrimination and systemic racism but but our study is not alone there are many studies now showing that stress during pregnancy predicts shorter telomeres in the in the offspring either day one or later and so we want to think about how can we protect women during pregnancy and really the whole family system. We don't talk much about the men, but they're passing on sperm. The sperm has epigenetics. So the health of young men as well is them and the mental health is critically important. But we intervene on the pregnant women and we just published a second paper that was led by my colleagues, Danielle Rubinov and Nikki Bush. and about 10 years ago i did a mindfulness intervention with my colleagues and we had overweight women who were pregnant practice mindful eating might learn about nutrition and mindful stress reduction just for eight weeks of their life and at the end they of course felt less stress and depression than our control group who had treatment as usual meaning almost nothing some doctors visits um and so We were really excited about this study way back then. We found that the women who had met weekly for eight weeks had better oral glucose tolerance tests. So meaning they were more insulin sensitive during pregnancy, which is a huge important factor both for their health and the baby's health. And then my colleagues followed them eight years later and the moms who had the mindfulness training had lower depression persistently every year including during the pandemic. So everyone went up in depression during the pandemic, but the ones who had been trained in mindfulness during pregnancy still had lower depression. It was absolutely mind-blowing. We rarely expect robust facts like that.
0: Makes you think people who are anxious, stressed and depressed go to go to their their uh, step into their, their psychiatrist's office or doctor's office, or whoever's office whoever they're seeing and 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 walk out with a prescription for vigorous exercise and meditation and the mediterranean diet
1: yeah (laughs) it's a great package i couldn't agree more and the only missing ingredient there is a friend to do it with and that you know i think the group component is such an important part of support and we're just inherently such social mammals that we feel less stress when we have someone that makes us feel reassured safe that we can trust And so that's what we develop in groups. But even just having someone you're texting, someone on the phone, is going to help us with those changes during critical periods.
0: You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that Uh, meaningful IRL connection is such a passion of mine right now. I think it's, we've completely ignored it during our, you know, big COVID experiments. And... A number of guests I've had recently, yourself included, whether it was Gabor Mate, I just had it hasn't it hasn't aired yet, but Bob Waldinger out of Harvard. It's all about social connection. We are social animals, and when you think of the loneliness epidemic and that scary statistic, uh, if you're lonely, it it equals smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Got a problem?
1: Yeah, loneliness is definitely a really painful and pernicious chronic stressor. It's interesting when we look at the, the depression and anxiety data before the pandemic, but especially during the pandemic. And while we know that older people, they're more isolated, they have higher loneliness, they are much more resilient to depression and anxiety. They don't go to despair as easily.
0: So wh- why is that?
1: There are beautiful things that happen with age that we ignore. We have such negative stereotypes of aging. You were talking about the hip fractures. My colleague, Becca Levy at Yale has this unbelievable line of work showing that when we have negative stereotypes of aging, when we think of it as being old, confused, frail, I mean, fill in the blank. What do you think of when you think of someone who's elderly? Usually it's these negative aspects. When we have that stereotype, we actually are more likely to have those bad outcomes from a hip fracture. We're more likely to get dementia, regardless of having the APOE risky genes. And so, I mean, she's just got a whole list of factors that are protect us from diseases of aging if we have positive stereotypes of aging, like positive views. Like Think of someone who's thriving in their 70s, 80s, and, and that's what we should be thinking about when we think of aging.
0: Well, as you talk about the mind-body connection, that one seems to stand out to me, this idea that you can think yourself to longevity in that regard. If you, if you view aging as this terrible thing and you view yourself as weak, that, that might actually become fact. Whereas if you think of aging as you know you're, you're you know I'll use my example uh, my friend Mark Sisson I don't know if you know Mark he also lives in Miami he's 69 and he looks better than I'm just like that's that's who I'm the Mark Sisson that that's my north star uh, you know it, it really it, and if you think about the mind body connection uh, you know there's a, there's a lot of science that supports that so can you talk about that. For for a moment, and the role our belief systems play in all of this—it's
1: they're so important. They're they're not everything, but they really help us. <laughs> um, and and I didn't mean to short to cut you off about the social connection. I think that's the easiest fact longevity factor we forget. You know, in the whole anti aging industry, is very much self focused and not social.
0: Hundred percent. I got my supplementation. I'm doing my hit. I'm doing my hot cold. I'm doing my you know doing all of that stuff. But oh. Oh crap, I forgot. I don't, you know, what happened yeah. to my friends. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And and that's something that happens with age. You said, you know, what is it about aging? I mean, there's so many factors that happen with aging that are so adaptive and beautiful. And one is we actually have more positive relationships. The tone, the emotional tone of who we hang out with is we weed away the more conflictual relationships and we have a smaller but more powerful social network. So that's that's important and of course you heard from uh, Bob Wadinger about the quality of relationships just one matters and <laughs> we know we really need quality not quantity and um yes yeah, someone just said to me I just want four you know it's more important to have four quarters than a hundred pennies in terms of friends <laughs> so the so back to the the mindsets are very important so we mentioned the mindset for positive aging, that we can really internalize and have our North Star vision. There's also a positive stress mindset. So this brings us into how important mindsets are for our belief about stress and how that is a self-fulfilling prophecy. So when we really focus on the negative aspects of stress and go into a stressful situation with a strong mindset of stress is bad for me, it's wearing me down, it's um I'm not going to be able to cope when I'm stressed. Some of these negative beliefs about negative effects of stress those put us in the place of having a more threat response. So we we actually get much more st- stressed about stress. Naturally, we are having uh, more physiological reactivity, and then we recover more slowly. Our emotions stay negative longer. If we go into a situation with these positive beliefs about stress, reminding ourselves basically. Um, inserting these beliefs, particularly right when it matters, this stress is strengthening me. Stress is good for me. It's helping me cope. Stress is energizing. My body's excited. I have a whole list of statements in the book and people just need to find one, like what feels true, what fits for you, and then use that like a shield
0: well, in the book, I thought, I thought it was a great example. Uh, as we just spent time in the Children's Museum here in Miami, you say, be more like a lion, not a gazelle.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's, a, yeah, what, right when we're rising up to cope with a stressor, it is helpful to think of that, you know, all the reasons we should feel empowered and excited and thinking, reminding ourselves of our different strengths and resources.
0: Well, I, I think it's this idea too: is you can't. What well, we'll look at, for some people, they do need to figure out ways how to just reduce stress in terms of what their what their life looks like. But I think for most people, they can't eliminate stress, and doing so would be a fool's errand. It's more about managing stress, accepting stress, changing your relationship with stress. Notwithstanding, uh, very serious traumatic events that would stress anyone out of their mind. But was was putting that aside, I, I think it's just what you said. It's reframing how you think about stress to some degree. Could probably Absolutely. solve a lot of it.
1: I you know, there's I, I think of it in as three techniques. So it's it's really critical that we choose our most positive views of stress and our ability to survive and cope with different situations. That is the, the power of beliefs in the moment. Then there's, I mean, there are those situations, like you said, so much we don't control. And so another important strategy to have right at hand is letting go is release, not muscling it, but rather being able to, to step back and say, okay, you know this this one is out of my control i can actually put the baggage down or drop the rope
0: so that's that's the, that's the the billion dollar question if you will control's a double edged sword as you write can you elaborate how you know control is important in managing stress but also so is letting go and therein lies the rub
1: yes so that um that is some of the most fundamental truth and people love the aa statement of may I have the wisdom to discern what is under my control and what is not. And that ability is, I would say, an ongoing task for us, you know, almost daily to know where to put our energy and know where to really literally lean back and focus on acceptance and letting go, because it's so hard when we want things to be different, to not engage in problem solving, even just mentally, just really trying to uh, change things that are causing us or others suffering.
0: And so I'm curious, what have you found that we can do better in our day-to-day to to help build those more discerning muscles, if you will?
1: So in the Um, stress prescription, I guide you through a stress inventory. And that's more of a big picture view of your landscape, your personal stress landscape. And so just really looking at all of the different situations in your life and sorting them into the three baskets. What can I control? What can I control and what goes in the middle in the gray area? There's lots there. And then asking what about the situation can I control? It's always our response. And sometimes there's along the edges, we can do things to lessen friction. So there's that kind of grand view. And then in, the, in daily life, there are other strategies to actually check in with ourselves in the moment and ask, what are we holding right now? What are we bristling up against or tensing up? Often it's very uncertain and vague the stress of the uncertain future. When we can name that and actually label what it is and label our feelings, like that is a game changer. There's neuroscience behind that about how that is calming the amygdala. When we're getting knowledge from the stress response, breaking it down into thoughts and feelings.
0: Can you spend a moment on that one? Because for for me, my my take is uncertainty is a huge one. You know, you'll often hear the story of, you know, someone uh, waiting for a, a lab or a result and the stress leading up to the result. And then the person gets to the point where it says, I don't even care what it is. I just want to know, do I have the thing or not the thing? And people will say, even if the diagnosis is, is not a favorable one, you'll hear the person say, at least I knew what I had. And then I could come up with a plan and they would say there were more stress, not knowing. So let's spend a moment on uncertainty.
1: Yeah. That's a great example. And up up to that, all of the worrying doesn't help and just creates this, you know, extra suffering. And the blunt tool of distraction in those types of situations shouldn't be underrated or looked down upon. You know, when when we're we can't know what we're dealing with and we can't cope ahead. Um, and that's what a, a lot of life is: we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We just saw so much volatile uncertainty during the these years of the pandemic. And we have more in our future with the climate change disasters and other global things outside of our realm of control, global, local. And so this i this way of really expecting the uncertain future and giving up the control that we never had is a wonderful freedom that we can remind ourselves that we have so some of these mindful check-ins are good in the moment so some practices and i have some scripts for that but even just developing a robust worldview of how important it is to really feel the moments that you have that are present the day that you have that is certain that is such a beautiful way to live and that's a real mindset that a lot of people have rather than really focusing on these kind of um, goals of, I'll be happy when I get to this point, when I achieve this. And so there's just a lot of living in the uncertain future. It's miserable.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I'll use a personal example, which is very unlike me. And I've learned a lot from this. So uh, about a year ago, I found out one of my, one of my dear friends I played basketball with in college had colon cancer. And I said, you know, wow, hope, hope he's okay. I checked in, called them. And I said, well, how how did, how did you know? He said, well, my, my iron dropped precipitously overnight. And I said, wow. Okay. And you know, they caught it early. He's going to be okay. And so about a week later, I do extensive lab testing every six months. My iron dropped precipitously. And so I'm just like, oh my God. Was this a sign that, you know, here's the watch out. I have something wrong. I convened with my medical team and they said, you need to get a colonoscopy. Cause when that does happen, like there could be you should, it's best practice. And so in that period, I scheduled a colonoscopy. It was like three weeks. I was, I had no symptoms. I didn't feel anything. I was fine <laughs> leading up to that lab result. I became, and this is unlike me. And my my wife and my mother were like, you're a different person right now. I was a mess. And in that period, I developed like pain in my stomach. And I really thought I had something wrong. And I even so, like I remember leading up to the colonoscopy and I'm doing the colonoscopy. I'm in the waiting room and like they're super delayed and they're like taking my blood pressure and I have normal blood pressure. But like it is like through the roof before I'm go to about to go in. They're like, why? I'm like, because I'm nervous. You know, I've been sitting here for three hours on a gurney waiting to go in. Long story short, I go in completely clean. Completely clean. Animal, and, the, and I did the endoscopy too. I'm like, I'm doing both. And so, and to this day, we don't know. I've got a weird iron situation. I take iron supplementation. It, no one can figure it out, but it is what it is. I'm fine. And so, even though I'm still kind of determined to figure out the iron situation, I've got some weird genetic things. But at any rate, It was such a learning experience for me where we think about the mind body connection. I took this leap where a friend has colon cancer, low iron, I have low iron, holy cow, I'm in trouble and almost caused myself this physical pain in my stomach. And I think I'm pretty disciplined. I'm pretty, a pretty positive person for the most part, but wow. I saw it firsthand. You talk about the mind-body connection. That was totally fine.
1: That's a amazing um, example your body gave you, and so so intense. I had a I had a mind-body connection um, shock like that. I was I had something you know quite traumatic happen. Uh, I get stressed out by family kid situations, not so much by work, and something you know, I would say on the scale of of traumatic, threatening things, it felt like a 10. And I had a huge immune reaction. I won't go into it, but, you know, like inflammatory issues. And, and a friend of mine said, I was so alarmed and feeling it was wrong. And, you know, a friend said, but everything you study is not true if you don't have something right now. And I was like, ah, I'm connected too. I've got this you know, my immune system is feeling this. And so it just normalized and it was like, okay, this will pass. And it did.
0: But, you know, it, it, it's such an important note. And I think I'm, I'm coming back to to trauma, stress, uh, even our emotions. You know, I mentioned we had Gabor Mate on the show and he rattled off this mind blowing study where there were, I think, two groups of of women who were both unhappy, I think both unhappy in their marriage and one group expressed their emotions and the other didn't. Uh, and the I think the punchline, the women who expressed their emotions were significantly healthier. So even expressed their, their negative feelings. And so it's this idea, you know, it's not where I'm going with this is it's not ignoring stress. It's not saying I'm not stressed or trying to bury it because you can't, but it's, a, it's embracing it and expressing it you know, having tools, but at the same time, not trying to run away from it.
1: Ah, beautiful. That is really one of the deepest lessons about stress is not to, not to push it away, but not to leave it as stress, which is this big global, you know, red, red alert feeling, but is actually the expressing the awareness of, of different emotions and what's really bothering us to the core and the expression of it not venting that doesn't that often activates us but but um really you know talking with someone you trust or writing out the true expression of your full experience body mind feelings fears that's different than venting
0: you know i'm going to come back to to control because as you said there are things we can control and things we can't and you talk about prioritization. In the book, how can prioritization help us when we're stressed? What does that look like?
1: It's, they don't go together that well. So when we are really in the thick of coping, we often let everything go. (laughs) You know, our sleep is worse. Our, we're not, you know, cooking healthy meals, et cetera. And so we have those, those are little quantum periods of, you know, of um, being in an acutely stressed phase that is not good for us, but we will recover, and that's just part of the cost of co- catabolic cost of coping. We try, not, you know, better if we try not to let all of those things go. But um, if you're really in the thick of it, you know you've lived this, so you know what I'm talking about. But the the prioritization of how we spend our time is really important for stress reduction because it's so easy. We all have really different things that stress us out and different solutions. And that's why there's a lot of different tools for people to explore. But one that's really common, I think we, most of us share, is time stress, not having enough time to do all the things we want or what our obligations are. And so there's this rushing every day. And it's just, it really is self created stress that we could do better with. And so part of this, life assessment and stepping back and reflecting is, is thinking about how we really wanna use our time. And, you know, if we see someone we love just once a year, that's, uh, it's very easy to count how many more visits we have. So dramatic things like that, when we can really see, actually life is much shorter than it feels. And there's this preciousness to every day. And how we live our day is also how we live our life. How we live our lives. That's a great quote by Annie Dillard. But it's there's, there's so much wisdom in that for thinking about stress. Because stress is a daily... Uh, we can either live in it every day and bathe in a kind of a chronic stress lifestyle. Or we can actually wake up and do things to reset our course. To focus on joy. To have moments of ease to stop the daily rush so that that doesn't become our whole life. Also prioritizing our time, you know, really thinking about how, if we can be meeting our North Star with some of our daily activities, are they somehow related to what's most meaningful to us?
0: So in in terms of joy, in terms of ease, can you talk about rituals or the role of restoration plays here?
1: I do think that routine and rituals are extremely important because they allow us to relax our ritual is the foundation of relaxation and when we know what's coming next our body can find ease rather than the vigilance so while we don't want too much rigidity we really do benefit from having ritual and our body gets conditioned to for example any e-states that we build in rituals of breathing or short mind-body practices, when we actually have those in a trained mind-body, they are really benefiting us much more. So Jason, you and Colleen, I've been wondering about what has happened over the seven years since I saw you because mind-body green, (laughs) you know, it was really amazing and impressive and just even the name and adding green. And now we're living in this world where green is our lifeline. Um, and the connection between our mind, body, and nature is so important. and uh, you know we're really in a critical moment. And then for you personally, you've you've I mean it's has an amazing global reach and you have kids now, and so you guys have obviously been dealing with a lot of what we think of as typical stress. And what has been your experience? What have you learned from your um, all the, the changes and the, you know, many of these are positive stressors, not the health scare, but um, do you have like fa- family ways of coping with stress?
0: <laughs> I, I think it's a good question. I think Colleen and I co- cope with stress or manage stress somewhat differently. So for me, um, you know, you mentioned diet and we all know that when you're stressed, you tend not to eat well, and that's precisely when you should <laughs> so i will i will always attempt to do that uh i am a meditator off and on you know big difference pre-kids i would do the the 20 minutes the the vedic or tm 20 minutes uh once a day sometimes twice a day with kids that practice kind of disappeared now it's maybe a couple minutes a day maybe twice maybe every other day um I'll practice breath work. I subscribe to the simple inhale for two, hold, exhale for four. Uh, resistance training is a big thing for me. That's definitely changed as I am, you know, squarely approaching middle age. So that's a couple times a week for 25 to 30 minutes. I'll jump rope. Uh, I'll do yoga on the weekends, maybe once or twice, not long though, do it at home, less than 10 minutes, you know, no more public classes for me. Um, I walk all the time. I'm a walker. I have a rule: If I'm less than five flights, I'll take the stairs. I try to get 11 to 12,000 steps a day. We live in Miami now. So I love being outside. Always try to be moving. Um, and, and those are some of the practices I incorporate. Or always try to get sleep, good sleep, um, and that works for me. But to my point, I'm not immune to to stress. And um, I would say, if I had to speak for Colleen, uh, she loves group fitness classes, loves working out, uh, eats pretty clean, and, and I think you know the the big change post kids is just like finding time. You know, and, and, and it's about these micro moments, if you will, like rarely do we have the time where I'm just going to work out or go to a class for an hour or two hours. It doesn't exist. Like, what can I do right now? I got five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe a half hour, or 45 minutes. And that is a luxury. And so. Those are and being outside as you know there's so much great science there and that's one of the reasons we love we love the warm weather we love being near the water we love nature and that's one of the reasons why we chose to many reasons chose to move to Miami but that that's a, a big being outside is really incredible
1: those are such powerful practices and attitudes and realizations and those short short practices are really where it's at yeah we can do it we can
0: Every day yeah you're busy it's really hard I applaud people who do find the time who get up super early in the morning and go to the gym for an hour or two whatever it might be we just we don't have the time and I think you know as we think about health and wellness and and all the issues we have as a society I think so many people look at what they think is required and say the same thing and they get frustrated and they walk away I don't have an hour I don't have two hours but the reality is you need to walk need to take the stairs, you need to eat the Mediterranean diet, do some push-ups, some sit-ups, and a little yoga, and call it a day. You're good.
1: And that's a lot, and that's beautiful, and that's getting in both the high arousal hermetic stress and the deep rest, letting go. It's And where would we be without some of those?
0: And so what What about you?
1: And I love your point, and I'm not immune to stress. No one is immune to stress. Mental health experts are still needing Tremendous coping with stress, <laughs> you know, during the pandemic. I'm in a psychiatry department during a pandemic. Um, you can imagine the stress levels of all of our mental health providers, and they're experts on, on, you know, keeping anxiety low, et cetera. But it's, it is, it's, it's an active process. It's a daily process. Habit and lifestyle are a huge part of stress reduction. So I, you know, I. Also gave up the group classes and look forward to yoga classes again at some point. That was something, you know, a long yoga class with a good shavasana. I mean, that was like that lasted for days, <laughs> maybe a week. Um, so um, I do miss that, but I do, you know, I do try to do fit in those short practices when I can. A short waking practice, Peloton. Uh, you know, turns out walking, parking far away and walking, especially when it's nice. Uh, out and there's some urban greenery is very powerful. And especially if you're uh, aware of it, you know, if my mind's not spinning with like, okay, when I get there, here are the next things I need to do, but rather having the sensory gates open and really observing any nature, any beautiful city scenes, you know, that changes everything. And there's a whole, as you said, a tremendous amount of fascinating science on the green effect.
0: And so in terms of the science, I'm curious, where do you want to where do you see it going on stress, on telomeres, on the mind-body connection? What do you? Is there anything out there that you're currently working on, or anything you want to see happen in the next couple of years?
1: Thank you for that question. I have a both an individual and a social perspective. The individual one is wanting to understand more about the mechanisms of, for example, different breathing techniques. They're so powerful, there's they act, they work so quickly. And there is some really lovely research, but I feel like we're just at the beginning of really understanding how we can use different aspects of breathing or movement with breathing to create different mind-body states. So that brings us to, you know, how does the hermetic stress interventions work differently than the more relaxing um, mindful interventions? And there are commonalities and we just finished a study where we were comparing them and they both work equally for stress and depression, which is beautiful, but they're obviously working through different mechanisms. So those little experiments that we can do uh, to understand mechanisms of practices and particularly the autonomic nervous system, how how we carry around stress with us, even when we're relaxed, even we think we're relaxed and even when we sleep, really understanding, can we measure that? Can we change our baseline? Can we change the level of stress that we carry around all the time? That's a fascinating question to me. So wearing the aura ring is interesting, seeing how that responds to retreats and to sleep has been personally informative. And to do studies to say, can we increase deep sleep? And can we change our stress baseline that we carry around with us during the day? Are future studies that I would love to do. and you know, my colleagues and I talk about them a lot, it's these things take grants, or um, if we're lucky, philanthropy, and from a social perspective, we were talking about, can we just move from a, you know, medical care, to a self care or empowerment model of mental health, because we can do so much to prevent it with social connection, social support movement. So thinking about ways that we can really be changing to a, from a culture of stress to a culture of wellness and compassion, those are kind of, you know, big holy grails to me.
0: (laughs) I love it. You think that's possible in our lifetime?
1: I think we can move the needle. And I think the, there are people, many of your listeners who devote their lives to, uh, sharing wellness, you know, working on their own wellness and creating, insights and inspiration for other people. And that's what we can do. We can impact our local environment and the people around us in these beautiful ways, especially children.
0: So in closing, in addition to obviously picking up this, the uh, the stress prescription, uh, going to the link on your website, which we will link in the show notes where people can look at uh, options for telomere testing and everything they need to know around it. If you
1: must, if you must.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I think our listeners are a must. Uh, with all that said, is, is there one thing that you think everyone uh, should consider right now to better manage their stress?
1: All right. If it's got to be right now, I would love our listeners with us to do a gratitude query because gratitude is an antidote for stress when we're feeling stressed about things and anxious we're wanting things to be different and we're not seeing how things are and appreciating what is good what is right in our lives and so a gratitude query is a very powerful way to change our lens immediately so just ask yourself right now what are three things that i'm grateful for today in my life they can be small things they can be big things, relationships, people, small things. Coffee often often enters that list. <laughs> and that's and that's fine. I certainly have the daily um, positive anticipation of that. So not just so thinking of gratitude can actually increase our positive mood immediately. And Sonia Lubmirski and other people have just done beautiful studies on these short-term changes we can make by focusing on positive things or doing a kind act for someone so let's take the gratitude query a step further and think of someone who did something that we're we appreciate and text them or write them or call them today and just let them know what they did and how it affected you so not just i'm grateful for you is beautiful but even go a step further I appreciate that you did this. It affected me this way.
0: Beautiful. Alyssa, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Jason. So fun to talk to you and so much admiration for how you live and what you share and what you've created.
0: Oh, you're very kind. Thank you.